Welcome back to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, we time-traveled to November 8, 1974, to the campus of the University of Nebraska at Omaha and the Mavericks' Coniglia Field. It's a Friday night, and we are here for the Metro Conference Championship Playoff Game, the final Omaha Conference Playoff before Nebraska institutes a statewide MSAA Playoff in 1975 and makes these conference playoffs basically irrelevant. This may be the last high-stakes Metro playoff game, but it's also a first. The first high school championship game in Nebraska played on artificial turf. UNO had converted Coniglia to fake grass during the summer. We are here to watch unbeaten Omaha Benson from the National Division take on the Burke Bulldogs of the American. The artificial turf gets plenty of mention in the run-up to the game because both teams have running backs who seemed who seem poised to take advantage of the quick cuts the surface advertises. For Benson, it is three-time All-State Mighty Might, five foot five, one hundred and fifty-pound lightning bug Bobby Bass. For Burke, it is the junior member of their halfbacks as brothers tandem, Tim Worth, who lines up in the Bulldogs' wishbone backfield with his brother Mike a senior. The younger Worth isn't much bigger than Bass at five foot six and 150 himself. Both teams scheduled practices at UNO leading up to the game, and Mike Worth pronounced the green carpet as, quote, a lot quicker than regular grass. I think you can cut better. It will help pelt the shifty guys, unquote. To most Omaha football fans here tonight, that means number 22 in green, Bass, and number 21 in black and gold, Tim Worth. They will be expecting spectacular cuts leading to big, big plays. The Bunnies seem to have more to play for as the game approaches. They are 7-0-1 on the year and ranked number one by Condi Sargent in the World Herald, and number two behind 9-0 Lincoln East by Randy York of the Lincoln Journal. Their perfect season had been ruined just a week before in a wet, rainy, turnover-filled game across the Missouri River at Council Bluffs' Abraham Lincoln. The Lynx blocked a punt in the final minutes of a 6-0 game and ran the ball in for the tying score. The tie was preserved when their PAT went just left, but Benson's magnificent defensive effort, they had stopped AL inside the five-yard line three times in the game and added a stop at the 12 just before that ill-fated punt was wasted by that single special teams play. Benson was still very much in the state title race, though. The Omaha paper left them at number one. Abe Lincoln was a six-win team and from out of state, and the weather was a big factor. And the Lincoln paper, which dropped the Bunnies to number two, pointed out that their unbeaten number one, Lincoln East, had a 6-0 squeaker over 1-8 papillion on its resume that, despite being a win, might have been a bigger black mark than the Benson's tie with Abraham Lincoln. The Bunnies have only played in the Metro title game once before, losing to Westside 20-14 in 1966, and are searching for their first Metro championship in football in the decade-old league. 
It would be their first conference title of any type since they shared the final old inner-city league crown in 1962 and would give them a pretty good chance at the first state football title in the history of the school. I don't think it is any question uh, that they would earn at least the Omaha World Herald share of the title and maybe the consensus crown with the win. All they need to do is handle Burke, a team they trounced 32-7 in the Bulldogs' own stadium on the season's opening night back in September. But Burke has plenty to play for as well. The Bulldogs are playing in their first Metro playoff, and they don't even have a conference title in their entire school history. Of course, that history in 1974 is only the same age as the Metro Conference, 12 years. And it's been a long time since that season opening loss. And Burke knows it played that game without an injured Mike Worth. Still, the Bulldogs haven't been close to beating Benson in two years. The 1973 score was an even more lopsided 52-27. to As we enter Coniglia Field, we will overhear fans expecting an offensive show as those fleet-footed backs, including Benson's other running threat, Charlie Green, are loosed to cut and bounce all over the space-age surface of the Mavericks' new field. Once we find a seat, though, we will soon know that we are witnessing a defensive battle. Oh, both offenses will find some running room in the middle of the field, and both def- but both defenses will tighten when scoring is threatened. And probably, most importantly, with Bass, Green, and the Worth brothers toting the ball, the defenses will limit any big plays and force both ground-based offenses to cover turf one first down at a time instead of with lightning bolt touchdowns. Back in September on that opening week game, uh, the bunny win over Burke, Bobby Bass had scoring plays of 71 and 98 yards. Tonight, there will be nothing like that. In fact, the biggest run of the game will be a 33-yard option scamper by unheralded Burke quarterback Lee Sapp on the fourth play of the game. After that, it is a grinded-out affair. In the end, the running stats would look fine. Both running tandems would total exactly 157 yards, 69 for Mike Worth and 88 for Brother Tim, 89 for Bass and 68 for Green. Deep into the fourth quarter, though, only one of those yards would produce any points. Mike Worth carried the ball across from the one on a fourth and goal late in the first half to give the Bulldogs a 6-0 lead. We will watch uh, as they hold that lead until Benson starts a drive at its own 32 late in the fourth quarter with its unbeaten season on the line. The Bunnies will keep the ball on the ground, grinding up 57 yards to the Burke 9, reminding many in attendance of the Benson drive that beat defending state champion Bellevue on the Chieftain's field in early October. Trailing 13-12 to in the final quarter of that matchup, the Bunnies marched 80 yards on 17 plays, every single one of them on the ground to vanquish the champs 18-13. to the World Herald writer that night had fun with the metaphor, opining, quote, The bunnies invaded State King Bellevue's castle and stabbed the monarch in the heart. Unquote. You just don't get that kind of sports writing anymore. Back at Coniglia Field, with the 1974 Metro and State Crowns in the balance, Benson is faced with a third and eight at the nine yard line after Bulldog middle guard John Engen has stoned Bass for no gain on second down. Bunny coach Roger Sorensen decides to switch things up and go to the air. Benson end Rob Bryant looks open for an instant, 
before Burke linebacker Roger Buchanan steps in front and steals the Benson hopes with his first interception of the season. Quote, I just thought, hold on, Buchanan told the World Herald, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And it was the greatest night in Burke football history, as the young school ran out the clock and claimed its first ever conference title, and joined in its first ever state title conversation. Burke, this, by this point, has had a convoluted history, hurried into existence by the post-World War II baby boom as Omaha scrambled to create enough classrooms and seats for all of those kids. I've always been interested in the dynamics of a new school, whether it's Lincoln Northeast in 1941, really a consolidation of three Lincoln suburban schools, or Elkhorn North this fall as they open up and split the Elkhorn District three ways now instead of two. Some schools are fast out of the gate athletically. Others take a while. All have their own unique situations, and Burke certainly had that. 1974 was the obvious place to start this history of Omaha Burke. It was the first time Burke really put itself in the mythical state football title discussion. Burke had captured the Class A baseball championship in 1970, but football or boys basketball is really where a new school proves itself. The win over Benson meant the Bulldogs had erased the black mark of that opening night loss to the Bunnies. They will fall just short in the minds of the Raiders, though. Lincoln East will finish its season the next night with a dominant 28-0 win over North Platte, and the Platters were no slouch. They would win the Big Ten Conference six days later with a 16-0 road win over Columbus. East was 10-0 and would sit atop both the Omaha and Lincoln ratings. Burke would be number two in the Lincoln Journal and number four in the World Herald, a midseason heartbreaking loss to Omaha North being their fatal flaw uh, in the World Herald's mind. Burke lost four fumbles to ruin its homecoming against the Vikings, and North turned the final fumble inside the Bulldog 15 into a Frank Taylor touchdown and a two-point conversion for the 16-15 upset. It was the big win in North coach Leonard Bond's 15th and final season with the Vikings. Despite the near miss, it was obvious that Burke under coach Larry Jacobson would be a force in Nebraska high school football for years to come. The new school on the western edge of Omaha had a beautiful seven-year-old stadium and all the new school momentum that can power a program. All right, here's where I kind of pause for a second and talk about where this episode is coming from. I had several ideas for it, and number one, like I just said, I'm always interested when new schools open up, and this was the first new Omaha High School when they opened uh, since Omaha North in 1926. That's pretty incredible. Uh, The Omaha Public Schools uh, then would, of course, open Northwest and Bryan uh, within the next decade, Um, and now we're waiting for the next round of Omaha expansion. Uh, Burke also is just a very interesting story. I actually first uh, thought of doing this episode when they were making their 2018 run towards their first ever state championship because as powerful as as Burke was uh, on the football field under Coach Jacobson, they never quite got over that hump and got that state championship. And I thought, wow, this would be a great episode in the week leading up to that state title game against Grand Island. But I got to tell you, it's weird. Uh, You know, I mean... There's only a hundred or so people listen to this podcast, but 
I just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could run that episode and maybe jinx the Bulldogs. So I put it off and I kind of put it away. Uh, but the story of, of Burke's early days as, as Omaha rushed uh, to get the school in session, and, and really Burke has had several identities as the title of this episode uh, says, uh, as Omaha Beverage and Omaha Monroe, uh, you'll learn soon. I, I thought this was a story we still wanted uh, to tell. So now that that uh, 2018 football title for Burke is is safely in the books uh, for a long ways here as I'm telling the story, uh, I feel like it's time to uh, tell this story. Um, they, they've had an amazing run in football at Burke um, since 1974, and I'm sure someday we'll tell that story. The Bulldogs have only had six coaches in their 58 years, which is amazing consistency uh, in leadership. But what I want to talk about today is not the Burke powerhouse from 1974 on. I, I want to talk about Burke at the beginning when things weren't so rosy. In fact, at the very start, Burke wasn't even Burke. In the late 1950s and the early 1960s, stories about new schools in Omaha are almost a daily ritual in the World Herald. If you open it up to the education section, they're talking about building an elementary school or a junior high or eventually a high school. As the baby boom generation started walking through schoolhouse doors, those schools were bursting at the seams. While building numerous elementaries and junior highs, Omaha school leaders were also trying to make plans for when those students started hitting the city's high schools. Suburban growth was booming to the north, west, and south. They were going to need new high schools. The question was where to start. By 1958, in the north, tiny Irvington High School, a town that kind of got overgrown, uh, tiny Irvington High School, which had been a small town high school north of the city since about 1910, had been overrun with Omaha suburban expansion in that direction and had merged with the Omaha public schools and closed their high school. The Irvington Board of Education was promised that a new Irvington High would be built as a part of OPS. Of the three areas, though, the north was growing the slowest, so that school would have to wait. In the south, the city was growing toward Bellevue, and South High's numbers were zooming upward. Eventually, a high school would need to be built there. But a move by the Omaha Catholic Diocese took some pressure off of OPS when Bishop Ryan High opened at 60th and L. We chronicled the history of the Ryan Knights with their 1,500 student capacity in an earlier episode, but for the purposes of our story today, it is enough to say that without Bishop Ryan High opening, OPS may have made a move in the South first, but instead, the West became the priority. West Omaha was growing and growing, even beyond the boundaries of the new Westside High School. That school, in the state legislature-protected District 66, had opened in 1952 at 87th and Pacific. Westside, like Lincoln Northeast uh, a couple decades before, uh, was not a new school as much as a consolidation of three, um, in this case, at one time rural schools, Oakdale, Loveland, and Underwood Hills. Now, the Underwood Rams were the only one of the three still competing in high school athletics when they closed to form Westside. The Rams played in a Class C basketball district tournament in their final year. Westside actually also started in Class C as well, but was playing in Class A at least by 1957. Fast-growing Westside, though, couldn't contain all the growth even further west of that district, and that would mean that the Omaha Public Schools would soon expand and surround 
District 66. In 1963, Omaha voters passed a bond issue that was intended to build several schools, including the new Irvington High and Omaha Burke High School out at 121st. Now, we know that Irvington High will eventually get built, but, but be called Omaha Northwest High School. The interesting thing to me is, though, they did make one nod to the Irvington people. They adopted Irvington's nickname, the Huskies, the Omaha Northwest Huskies. But back to the Burke story out at 121st Street. There was no way the building would be ready before the students were. And the Omaha schools, Benson High School in particular, were dealing with severe overcrowding issues. OPS just couldn't wait for the construction of the new Burke building and the campus near I-280 and Dodge. The district would turn to junior high buildings that were already nearing completion from an earlier bond issue. Burke High School history would begin a mile and a half to the south at Beveridge Junior Senior High School. It is there that the student body would choose Burke's black and gold color scheme and the Bulldog nickname. The Beveridge Bulldogs would wear them first. But Beveridge and Burke, uh, both Beveridge and Burke, were named for f former OPS superintendents. John Beveridge was an Omaha superintendent from 1917 until his death in 1932. Harry Burke served from 1946 to 1962 and spearheaded the rapid expansion of OPS that we've just been discussing. On a darker note, uh, that is also a much criticized era, era of school segregation in Omaha, a discussion for another time perhaps. Burke, though, led the committee that first began the first stages of planning the new school that would eventually bear his name. The Omaha Public Schools' first new dedicated high school since North High opened in 1924. But the Burke building was years from completion when our story of Burke football started with a beverage football schedule heavy on road games. Beverage became a charter member of the Metro Conference, which began in the fall of 1963, the same autumn Beverage opened. As we chronicled in an earlier episode, the Metropolitan Conference began when another conference, the amb ambitious statewide Quad Cities Conference, collapsed under its own weight. One small part of that weight was the new Omaha High School out west that wasn't included in the original Quad Cities plan, but obviously would have to be added to the already large and unwieldy league. When the Metro uh, was instead formed with only the Omaha section of the Quad Cities, Suddenly, there was room for beverage right away. That doesn't mean the, the athletic powers that be, or that were, thought the Bulldogs were ready to compete at that level in their first year. The first schedule of beverage football looks strange to us today because the Bulldogs had expected to be in Class B and be Class B size in their inaugural season. And because the decision to have high school classes at the school was made too late uh, to have many choices in scheduling. The first Bulldogs would have eight games, but seven of them would be on the road, and all would be against smaller schools than we are accustomed to seeing Burke play today. On September 6, 1963, Beveridge traveled over 100 miles north for the first game in Burke football history at Laurel High School. The Bears never called Laurel Concord in that era, even though Concord High had closed in 1958 had no problem with the young Bulldogs winning 33-7. The first touchdown in Burke history came late in the game when Bob Pinkerton hit Herb Werner on a 71-yard TD pass to avoid the shutout. 
The next week was a similar story. A trip to West Point and a 41-13 loss to the Cadets. It was week three that brought the first ever Bulldog win. It was again another road trip, this time to Bennington. The Bulldogs, behind a pair of runners, Paul Knight and Dan Higgins, who the World Herald called pint-sized spark plugs, won 14-7. Knight quarterbacked the Bulldogs, and Higgins led them in rushing, including scoring the first touchdown. Dave Robertson scored the other TD after Knight and Higgins hooked up on a long pass to set it up. About a 1,000 fans, most from Omaha, according to the World Herald, watched the milestone win for Beverage and its head coach, John Johnette. <laughs> yep, the legendary Johnette coached football, basketball, and baseball at Beverage that first year. It was his only year as the Bulldog football mentor, but he'd coached Bulldog baseball and basketball for years and years. Under him, Burke won two baseball state titles in 1970, both the spring and the summer, and two basketball titles, 1977 and 1986. He was the only basketball coach the Bulldogs had from the beginning until 1988. He won 292 games in his Nebraska Prep Hall of Fame career. The week after that win at Bennington, the NSAA surprised people with the announcement that Beveridge would not spend its first year in Class B. Instead, the Bulldogs would be the smallest team in Class A for basketball districts. The growth in student enrollment had been even faster than school administrators had anticipated. Remember, in the pre-NSAA playoff era for football, they didn't announce classifications until a few weeks into September because classifications didn't matter until basketball season. The Beverage Bulldog winning streak wouldn't grow, though. The young team lost road games at Pawnee City, 19-7, and Columbus St. Bonaventure, 38-7. St. Bonaventure would become Columbus Scotus two years later. The next week was the first home game in Beverage-slash-Burke history, and the Bulldogs shut out Grand Island Northwest, 18-0 at Benson Field. Uh, Winner had two scores for Beverage, and Bill Cashel scored the third. Northwest was also a first-year school in the fall of 1963, and they had even worse scheduling problems and had zero home games for the entire year. In fact, Northwest was such a new school that when the game with Beverage was scheduled, the Vikings were not only not the Vikings yet, they weren't even called Northwest. They were listed on the football schedules that year as Grand Island Class 6, with the six in Roman numerals, a reference to the state school legislation under which the school district was organized. In fact, the not-yet-Vikings played two football games before their school board officially gave the school a name. Beveridge would finish that first year 2-6 and six after two more road losses to North Bend and Hastings St. Cecilia. They finished 0-0 zero and zero in the Metro, <laughs> A rare example, I think, of a team playing absolutely no games in its own conference. They were listed in the Metro standings, though, but always at 0-0. The Burke story uh, would have one more football season as beverage in 1964, and again, they would finish 2-6. Marvin Kennett took over as head coach, and they kicked off the season with their first ever Metro Conference game, losing to Council Bluffs Abe Lincoln 19-6. They added another Class A team to the slate and lost 52-0 to Lincoln Northeast. Their wins were over Grand Island Northwest and Columbus St. Bonaventure. 
1965, the football team would be the first to be called Burke. But the Burke building and facilities were not nearly done. Beveridge was still a junior-senior high school, but it wasn't the only one. Morton Junior High, about five miles north of Beveridge, was also serving double duty as a high school. And here's the kicker. The two buildings were considered two campuses of the same high school. They referred to themselves as Burke Beveridge and Burke Morton. Kids from both campuses would be bused together for practice after school each day. The same was true for band practice, cheerleaders, all the activities. On the field, Coach Kennett was back, and they won their first game as the Burke Bulldogs, taking down Omaha Rummel 26-6 on opening night. Rummel was an all-boys school that opened just that fall and was nine years from going co-ed and changing its name to Ron Colley. The Raiders were playing their first game ever and wouldn't join the Metro until the next fall, meaning Burke was still looking for its first conference win. In week four, after losses to Abraham Lincoln and Omaha Tech, the Bulldogs would get that first Metro win. Sophomore quarterback Dick Metz hit Sid Lathrop on a 41-yard second-quarter touchdown pass that ended up as the game's only score in a 7-0 win over Omaha Central at Burquist Stadium in early October. The World Herald trumpeted it as the school's, quote, first major sports success in the Metropolitan Conference and the brightest page of Burke High's three-year athletic history. The rest of the season was a struggle against a full-conference slate and with losses to North, South, Benson, and West Side, The Bulldogs did pick up a win over Omaha Holy Name to finish with a school-best 3-6 and six record. In 1966, the school was still built, split, excuse me, between Beveridge and Morton campuses. But there was a new football coach in charge, Hank Amend. His first season would have a 2-7 and seven record with wins over Abe Lincoln and Omaha South. That would be the last season of split campuses. On September 5, 1967, Harry A. Burke High School at 122nd and Dodge Street officially welcomed about 1,300 students. The World Herald called it a glistening new facility and a modern hall of education. In the first game at the brand new Burke Stadium against the Rummel Raiders, a huge opening night crowd of 6,500 watched the Bulldogs and third-year starting quarterback Dick Metz record the first TD in stadium history when Metz hit split in Paul Carter for an 80-yard score. Metz added a QB sneak before half, and Coach Amen's Chargers were in control 13-0 at the break. The dream of a stadium christening win died in a nightmare third quarter. First, Raider Paul Merrick took a Bulldog punt and jetted 56 yards for a touchdown. Then Merrick, alternating between the quarterback and halfback positions, keyed a 71-yard 13-play drive punctuated with John Teagle's 3-yard TD run. Don Cleese converted both PATs, and the Raider defense made the 14-13 lead hold up for the win first Burke home win, though, did come the next week against Council Bluffs Abraham Lincoln, 20-6. The black and gold finished the 1961 season with a 2-6-1 record, but the two wins and a tie in the conference was a school best. Burke beat CBAL and South and finished the year with a tie with emerging rival Omaha Westside, 7-7, a big step forward after big shutout losses to the Warriors in the previous two years. 
They lost the rest, including games to first-time opponents and powers of the time, Boys Town and Creighton Prep. In 68, Coach Amend was back for his third year, and the Bulldogs made their way into the state ratings for the first time after opening season wins over Bishop Ryan and Omaha South. That was short-lived as the Bulldogs only won one more game over Council Bluffs' Thomas Jefferson, finishing 3-6. and six. In 1969, the era of Burke football that we all know began when Coach Larry Jacobson took over the program. Jacobson would lead the Bulldogs for 26 years, 20 of them winning seasons and total 167 wins. He started winning honors on the football field before that as a two-time All-State player for the Homer Knights and an NAIA All-American at Kearney State. As a coach, He would eventually earn the titles of Metro Coach of the Year, Shrine Bowl Head Coach, and inductee of the Kearney State Nebraska Football and Nebraska High School Hall of Fames. More impressively, perhaps, he would be the Omaha Burke Teacher of the Year and a 1991 recipient of the Alice Buffett Outstanding Teacher Award. He even won the Johnny Appleseed Award from the Nebraska State Arbitorium Society for his work in planting those iconic trees that surround Burke Stadium and the high school campus and give us all shade when we're sitting at the state track meet. But it is the elevation of Burke football to an elite level in the state that we concentrate on here. It was Jacobson who led the Bulldogs to their first ever winning season in that first year, 1969, Burke went 6-3 and three with wins over Bishop Ryan, South, Central, Rummel, and Thomas Jefferson, as well as the first-ever win over rival Westside. Defender Tom Fisk recovered a Warrior fumble in the end zone for the touchdown, and that keyed the 21-7 win. The Bulldogs finished in the top, state top 10 for the first time ever. After that, Burke was a power in Nebraska football. Over Jacobson's years, they would record 46 uh, All-Staters. Bulldogs, uh, starting in 1978, would play under Jacobson in the playoffs 10 times in 17 years. They would play in the state Class A final in 1980 and in 1984, in the semifinals in 81, 83, and 85 as the wins kept mounting. And even after Jacobson left, Burke now is a match mass 28 uh, playoff appearances, including their championship in 2018 when they defeated Grand Island in a thriller, 24-20. to All that history traces back, though, to pretty simple beginnings at Beveridge Junior Senior High School. That's it for another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. We'll be back next week with another look at the greatest athletes in a Nebraska county. We're headed out west to Furnace County which is providing some interesting challenges for me as we go. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity, or check out our newly spruced-up webpage at SuitingUpVarsity.org. There we have links to our Twitter nominations for the greatest athlete at each school, a link to our curated list of Nebraska high school sports history films on on YouTube, uh, a list of the years we know of that each High school gym in Nebraska played its first, saw its first game played. Um, a list of school songs. A um, lot, lot of good content as we try to beef up that suitingupvarsity.org page. Uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find your podcasts. It helps others to find our show. So help out the Nebraska football fans 
uh, in your life uh, to find it. Or, you know, the best way might be to share one of our episodes on Twitter or Facebook or other social media. Get on your Instagram. Be an influencer. Help other Nebraska sports fans find our podcast. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, episode 33. Written and produced by me, Greg Mays. Technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trent Mays. Helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai. And as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2020.